And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to Raptors Reasonableist Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. Joining me on the line for this Wednesday morning, Freddie Gillespie emergency episode, Eric Crane. Eric, what's up, man? Not too much. Uh, it's WrestleMania week, baby. Let's go. Do- doesn't OG Ananobi know it? He does. Uh, still confused about what happened there, but we'll get into that in a little bit. We sure will. Uh, this is uh, we're doing the card rundown. All these video graphics of uh, you know Eric looking like Sami Zayn and me looking like Kevin Owens as the as the the our kind of avatars move around to to hype the podcast to come. This is Raptors Reasonless. The Toronto Raptors did not have a winless week, so we're a little more positive today, even though uh, they didn't send us into this podcast very well. Um, as a reminder, before we get going here, in addition to this podcast, you can go to theathletic.com slash we the six uh, and get access to the written side of the site for $3.99 a month, uh, not as you have it in the sheet, Eric, per week. Oh, this cool. is what I this is what I get for handing any amount of responsibility to you. This is uh, your running point guard. Like I don't know. I don't want to be mean to DeAndre Bembry after I wrote that fun feature on him this week. But uh, Stanley Johnson. <laughs> yeah, I, I it's a fast break, and I got the sunglasses on, Stanley Johnson styles. Yeah, uh, theathletic.com slash we the six. Again, you can get a discounted subscription there or click off any of our articles and then there's usually something that pops up uh, or just shoot us a message. I don't know. There's always something kicking around. Uh, theathletic.com slash we the six. Eric had a very good feature on the newest Raptor and the newest Raptor fan favorite and the newest tag team partner of OG Ananobi, uh, Gary Trent Jr. He's uh, no longer the newest Raptor, by the way. Just well, he is because that's not official until tomorrow. Okay, fine. Freddie is uh, the best. The best way to be correct is technically correct. Go on. Yes. Uh, all I was going to, I, I was about to say nice things about your Gary Trent feature, which I finally got to read yesterday. Um, but screw you now. Now we'll talk about my DeAndre Bembry feature and the candles I'm burning right now no. uh, as he pushed me toward uh, sage burning and candles and all that stuff. Uh, in seriousness, your Gary Trent feature. Uh, speaking to his father, who also played 13 games for the Raptors. Uh, it was really fun, really well done. Uh, did you have any takeaways from it or, or anything that didn't make the uh, the piece that you wanted to share? Uh, no takeaways. I I mean, it was nice to speak to both of them. And, and like what I originally thought was going to be sort of a standard profile on Gary Trent Jr. ended up becoming more of a piece about parenting and uh i don't know maybe that's because every second week a friend of mine has has a new kid uh that's not a humble brag about how many friends i have although i am very popular um but yeah i I don't know maybe i'm projecting some sort of thing there but uh, i mean it's interesting talking 
Uh, I mean, the most interesting thing for me was sort of, it, was, it wasn't my lead, but it was near the lead, uh, Gary Trent Sr. talking to Junior when he was five years old and, and being like, do you want to be good at basketball or be, you know, extraordinary at basketball? And I just fundamentally don't understand how any five-year-old can answer any question about, you know, the future with that much certainty and also stick to it. So that's that's sort of remarkable in my mind. But it, it was interesting to hear about the relationship. It was sort of fun to hear about, you know, Gary Trent Jr.'s sort of foggy memories of being picked up by Yao Ming and crying when he was a kid. Uh, <laughs> it was it was cool. Uh, and it sounds like they have a pretty solid relationship still, despite, you know, what could be a, a complicated situation when a father's really pushing a son. Uh, so that's, you know, great. It was. It's great to get to know them both, both a bit better, and uh, get some insight into them, and hopefully that translates into the piece. Yeah, it did. I thought uh, it was really good. I enjoyed it. Thanks. Um, Thanks my uh, yeah. I also had that DeAndre Bembry feature where we talk a little bit about uh, spirituality and uh, you know how he maintains his uh, positive energy and uh, through you know a pretty tough season where he's been in and out of the rotation and stuff. Uh, Bembry is. It's been a week for us trying to promote the vibes, I think. Gary Trent Jr. and uh, DeAndre Bembry are the two biggest suppliers of vibes on the Raptors uh, through what's been a really tough stretch. Um, We're going to talk about some of that rough stretch. We're going to talk about uh, Gary Trent Jr.'s performance uh, a little bit more, including a near-NBA record performance against the Washington Wizards. We're going to talk about Malachi Flynn, who's probably the guy to have watched the last week or so and, and will continue to be moving forward. And at the end of this podcast, we're not going to jam it in here so that you could turn it off if you'd like it, so don't complain to us. Uh, but this week's edition of Raptors Reasonablists will become WrestleMania Reasonablists in maybe 25 minutes here. Uh, Eric has some fiery takes. If you've ever thought Eric's takes on the Raptors were too um, lukewarm, too tepid, uh, boy, will you enjoy Eric's WrestleMania takes. He's fed up. Raptor uh, WrestleMania Reasonablists coming at the end of the at the end of the podcast, and then. You know, who knows? Maybe, uh, what was it you wanted to call your Blue Jays takes? Blue Jays Irrationalists? Somebody suggested that, um, which is fine. Uh, I, I don't care. We just call it called. Bird Brains. I just, oh yeah, that's good. Um, Wrestling you know, brain. I like that. <laughs> more and more uh, people are saying it, yeah. Eric. Wrestling brain. Yeah, we can get into the Jays if, if there's time. Uh, oh my God, Tanner Rourke. Yeah, um, I'm, going are to become, those... I'm going to become the Rorker. <laughs> it's, uh... How many more starts do you think he gets? I, I mean, so much of that depends on health, but like. But I, does it at a certain point? I mean, like, what are you going to do? Start Trent Thornton? Start like literally anybody for one inning. It's just that like their next two guys up are both hurt right now, right? Like, yes, I, I understand. Yeah, I'm really uh, excited for if Hatch gets a. Uh, gets things together. Um, Eno Saris, our, our friend over on the baseball side of the athletic, has really sold me on him with his stuff metric. Uh, if he can learn to command it, he's going to be a guy. Uh, but yes, to your point, I think, you know, if anyone thought TJ Zoik uh, was going to be the next man out as the Jays get healthy, uh, that could be 
Could be Rourke. Yeah, he's not good. Uh, all right. Speaking of roster moves, Eric, before we get into WrestleMania, before we get into Malachi and Gary Trent, uh, the Raptors will make a signing on Thursday. Sources have told myself and Shams Trania at The Athletic. Uh, the Raptors will be signing G League standout Freddie Gillespie, a former Baylor product who's made his way to the NBA through Division Three basketball, uh, won Pac-12 Most Improved uh, last year heading into the draft, and then was uh, you know a top pick in the G League draft and was one of the most improved players over the course of the season in the G League bubble. A little undersized at six foot nine, but a strong rebounder, seven foot six wingspan. Uh, I saw someone, uh, one of the draft people, describe his the combination of his hands and length as creating a good catch radius when he's on the roll, which is a, a term I, I really like. Um, and he, he works his tail off defensively. So, uh, no, he's not seven feet tall and 250 pounds, and, and you can't teach that. But uh, he, I'm excited. He, he's, you know, I got asked a couple times in the last few weeks, you know, who would I give a shot to, especially now that Alizé Johnson, you know, appears to be sticking with the Nets. And Gillespie was at the top of my list. Um, I think he's shown a lot of improvement uh, in his final year at Baylor and in this first year in the G League. And it kind of makes me wonder, you know, if he did this kind of grinding it out on his own through D3, through only a short stint at a at a good program, and then in a 15-game G League season, you know, what does this guy look like after a full summer of NBA development? Uh, I'm excited. I, I don't know if he'll, you know, the Raptors have no players right now, so, so maybe he does factor in right away as they continue this nine-game and 14-day stretch. Uh, but, yeah, he'll be signed Thursday. Eric, uh, any thoughts? I, I guess, you know, I guess my first question for you would be, you read my piece from uh, Tuesday night that was a little yeah. critical of the Raptors for sacrificing depth to, to save some money these last couple weeks. Uh, and I guess my, my question would be, do you agree with that take? And what do you think about them plugging the hole with Gillespie? Um, I don't have any Gillespie takes. I just haven't seen him play to the extent that you have. Um, but I'm, I'm glad to see a guy get a chance. And uh, I trust your takes in general, uh, even though you and only you said that Aaron Baines would be a good signer. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, I mean, as you laid out in your story, it's more complicated than simply the Raptors were cheaping out and and keeping the costs down, given all that's going on with them this year, and maybe to save a little bit uh, for the future. But there certainly is some element of that, and given that the Raptors just had... Uh, a bunch of guys go through COVID protocols. At least Fred Van Vliet had COVID, and we can reasonably guess, uh, although we won't name names, that a few others did as well. Uh, not giving a, a, as much depth as possible, uh, or, or not even as possible, but not even adding any depth uh, to the point where because... Fred Van Vliet gets injured, and OG Ananobi uh, gets tossed out of a game. <laughs> uh, Pascal Siakam is suddenly playing 76 minutes uh, combined in a back-to-back. -back. Even if there's no travel, that's not what you want for a guy who's uh, less than a, a month removed from COVID protocols, uh, when we still don't know a whole lot of things about 
the virus and its long-term effects if he indeed had it, which again, we're not speculating on. Uh, if I say we're not speculating on it enough... Wait, Siakam? Uh, yeah. He confirmed that he had it. Oh, did he confirm? Yeah, he said he lost like 10 or 15 pounds from it. Uh, I, I I knew that. I'm just not sure whether he said I had it. Oh. Um, well, I think, I think uh, yeah. that that is a... Uh, the implication uh, is yeah. pretty strong. I agree. <laughs> um, anyway, yes. Uh, that's not ideal. So I think uh, there are many ways to support your players, and one of them is to give them more teammates at a time of need. Uh, and this, I think, was undoubtedly a time of time of need. So in addition to getting somebody you're interested in and somebody you get a closer look at and maybe take, you know, who knows if there's a summer league, but you get them at least a little bit into the developmental pipeline, uh, you help out the guys who you really need to protect and, and are, you know, at the core of your franchise. So I'm for the move, and I wish it happened a little bit earlier for sure. Yeah. Uh, in terms of protecting your guys, again, uh, the OG Ananobi uh, kerfuffle from Tuesday's loss to the Lakers. Uh, Dennis Schroeder wrapped him in transition, which I thought was a, a pretty fine, like the foul was fine. Uh, he wrapped him, and it was hard, but it wasn't above the neck, and it wasn't, uh, you know, OG managed to keep his balance. And, and then, you know, OG kind of dumped him with a with a single leg. And then uh, Schroeder popped up, and Gary Trent popped up in place of Schroeder, and then Montrez Harrell ran over. Uh, Harrell and Ananobi ended up getting ejected. I thought it was a bit of a light ejection, um, but... You know, it is uh, it is what it is. It's just uh, it's a real shame. It was a TSN game, Eric, because uh, TSN is of course the home of AEW, whereas Sportsnet is the home of the WWE properties. Uh, would have been a great time for one of Matty Devlin's uh, excellent, excellent wrestling pay per view reads with yeah. WrestleMania coming up. Uh, that Inside is a Hell in a Cell. That is a lost opportunity. For sure. Uh, one of the things that makes us hard um, judging the fl- judging what exactly Ananobi did is that his facial expression never changes. Right? Like he was, he appeared to be apologizing to Dennis Schroeder yes. as he was like squaring up for Montrez running in. <laughs> yeah, like because I I can see. I, I mean. Dennis Schroeder has some serious, like, escalation facial expressions. Uh, like, he... If anyone remembers Canada-Germany yeah. from the World Cup the other summer... Yeah, like, uh, he, get, he gets... Certainly not fond of him. He gets hot real quick. Um, but I don't... Th- like, I don't think Ananobi was trying to do anything malicious. I But I don't understand what he was doing. Uh, like, I, I don't understand... Like, what did he think he was going to accomplish by keeping his arms wrapped around uh, Schroeder's leg and standing up? Like, this was the inevitable conclusion. Uh, so I don't, certainly not malicious, but it was maybe just a reckless choice, which is why, like, a flagrant or a technical seems to be more in line with what I think should have happened uh, than an ejection. As for Harold, like maybe there was like a, a quarter punch thrown or something, but I don't know. Like that's, 
I don't know what, what OG was going for. If you have a better idea, you can let me know. It was confusing. Yeah, I mean, I think OG probably didn't think that deeply about it and <laughs> just acted in the moment. And, you know, OG is forever unfazed. So it's, uh, you know, it's not the best outcome to get kicked out of that game. But it was, you know, if that was a game where they were winning or they had 13 bodies or something, it would have been like a humorous side note, um, like, like Serge Ibaka's many, many yeah. things. Um, it was funny in talking to DeAndre Bembry for that story I did on, on Tuesday. Um, this didn't make the story other than as an aside, but we were talking about where Gary Trent fits in immediately on the team's fashion hierarchy. And DeAndre took a shot at OG and said, you know, OG only wears freaking flip-flops. And since Serge Ibaka left, OG's fashion game has gone down. Uh, so I, I wonder if this was OG trying to channel Serge uh, in a different way and get that going. It's, it is what it is. I don't want to, I don't want to glorify like fighting in a sport where there's not really a place for for fighting. Uh, I do think it's fine to have these more physical outbursts from time to time. It is a physical competitive game, uh, but in this case, it left the Raptors. Very thin. They fell down by 34, and them coming back to make it a nine-point game was mostly uh, one of those fake comebacks that, as I tweeted last night, keeps my May story of, hey, the Raptors are the worst team ever to outscore their opponents on the season. Uh, that's still still in the mix. They've actually weirdly, not only are they 20 and 31 now with a positive net rating, they're also in the top half of the league in both offense and defense now. <laughs> uh, they are, they're truly an anomaly statistically. And like, I thought the Lakers game was such a great example of it because they did cut it from 34 to nine without ever really threatening. Pascal Siakam had what I would call a pretty bad game, but then poured in like 16 in the fourth quarter uh, to give himself a, a 27 point night. And you know, that's not like looter in the riot kind of stuff necessarily. It's just, you know, I'm sure they were intending to come back, but they were pretty, uh, pretty empty stats. Uh, but here we are. Um, um, so I have a fundamental question about the Raptors and their point differential and their record. Uh, are we going with they're trying to be, I mean, they're not trying to, but they're going to be like the best bad team ever or the worst good team ever? I'm going to say they are the best bad team ever because I think after a certain sample, you know, you're winning or losing these games, right? Like, like Portland has the same point differential as the Raptors and, and they're have almost the inverse record and Damian Lillard has not swung you know t 10 wins like that but Damian Lillard is statistically like the only player in NBA history who is demonstrably clutch like like <laughs> it's actually a thing for him um so like at a certain point, you're winning or losing these games, and yes, uh, your net rating and your simple rating system and stuff like that are better indicators of future performance. Uh, but when you're 20 and 31, I think we have to describe you as a bad team that is good underlying rather than an underlying good team that has been bad. All right. This is, I, I had an interesting conversation <laughs> with my, my friend Ricky Hart about this uh, the other day. We were talking about the Zips and Pakoda baseball projections. Yeah. And he's always been frustrated that these 
start of season projections, and, and this would be the case uh, for the NBA too, if you're looking at ESPN RPI or, or um, you know, back when we had access to PIPM and stuff like that, uh, you know, you have to make playing time assumptions. And it's one thing to be like, okay, well, let's assume Siakam plays 72 games and Van Bleet plays 70 games and Lowry plays 65 games. Um, but it's not as simple as that because realistically when you're talking about running 10,000 simulations or whatever there are some simulations where Lowry plays five and Van Vliet plays five and Siakam plays five and it's just a disaster and then some where they play every single game so the way you have to frame these things and the way that um, a system like Zips at Fangraphs works is they try to find the true talent level of these teams uh, through with different assumptions and so, you know, it, the computing power necessary to go uh, through every possible iteration of this guy's in the lineup, this guy's not, uh, is just too much. It's not yeah. It's not worth it. The return isn't there. Um, but what you're really doing with those is, hey, how many, how often would a team with a true talent level of, say, this year, I don't know, 38 and 34. Say that's what the Raptors' net rating suggests they should be at the start of the season. Uh, what these simulations try to do is, how often would a team with a true talent level of 38 and 34 get this record? How often would they win 50 games? How often would they win the title? How often would they win only 25 games? Um, and those probabilities are not zero in all those ranges. And what we're seeing here is maybe the most extreme example ever um, but, you know, I mean, we'll see. We'll see if they catch the Charlotte Hornets uh, for the, you know, to, to get out of the territory of worst record uh, for a positive plus minus team. But basically what we're seeing is that is like, what if a team plays like a, a 500 or slightly above 500 team all year? Uh, and, you know, probability and variance and late game execution and all those things just don't break their way. And yeah, a 20 and 31 record when you're, underlying metrics suggest you should be 26 and 25 is in the outcome set. Do you want to hear something uh, fun based Mm -hmm. on a story I'm working on? Uh, So my first five full years on the job. So I I got the job in January 2008. Raptors make the playoffs, lose to Orlando, and uh, then they go through their five-year playoff drought. Uh, So those were my first five full years. and their average win, like it, it averaged out to like a 32 and 50 record if we're prorating the lockout season. Uh, I think it was like at 31.6. So this year, if you prorate for an 82 game season, uh, they would, they're on pace now for 32.1 wins. Uh, so very close. And their average placement in the East for those five seasons was 11.4, and the Raptors are currently 11th. So, some old reflexes are kicking in. Yeah, the Raptors, by the way, just to kind of reset you here, uh, they are 20 and 31. They are in the midst of this wild nine-game and 14-day stretch that will, you know, not eliminate them or push them back into the play-in spot, but it's... You know, it's going to be hard to make up ground uh, once you get down to the, those final games. So uh, they are two games out of the play-in spot in the Eastern Conference. They are six games out of what I would call the true playoff spot where you don't have to play the playing game. That's the sixth seed. Yeah. And then they are a lot of games now. Uh, they have accidentally won too many. They're seven games out of uh, the very bottom of the league and they're five games out of kind of that bottom three where you have the very best lottery odds. So uh, the Detroit Pistons 
continue to stick it to the Raptors by only beating the Raptors and losing to everyone else and making it harder. I think they beat the Wizards, though, which was also bad for the Raptors in a way. Um, I mean, it depends exactly what your goals are. Yeah. Like, if your goal is... In terms of getting... Yeah, in terms of passing another team in the reverse standings, it was Do you want to... I guess this is the thing. Do you want to pass a team or do you want to pass as many teams as possible or do you want to pass do you want to get all the way to the bottom three because if you're trying to get all the way to the bottom three you need detroit to start winning yeah uh so that's good but if you're just trying to slide down uh it's cleveland and washington and orlando that you want winning uh and maybe maybe okc as well uh on that note there are three cavaliers wizards games remaining this season ew uh so wait do you mean three games between the cavaliers and wizards Yes. They're, okay, because uh, the Raptors also play those teams three more times in total. Like like in total. Not, yeah, they no, play the Cavs they, twice and yeah. the Wizards once down Yeah, the no, those two teams still have to play each other three times, which could be very Raptors relevant. Yeah. I mean, what you want there, I think, is uh, one, a one, a one, one and two sweep. split. Oh, uh, okay. All right. Oh, you were going to say you want one team to win them all so the Raptors can slide below them. Yeah, but, you know, who knows? Yeah, um, I mean, I guess it. we'll see... We'll the see. Raptors, let's face it, the Raptors already screwed their odds by beating the Wizards yeah. on uh, Monday night. Let's just call it what it is. The two Cavs games and the Wizards game left on the schedule are must-lose games for yeah. Raptors fans who want them to slide down uh, the lottery odds. If you still want them to make the playoffs, which internally they would surely tell you they do, uh, that puts Thursday's game in a pretty big spot. They're playing the Chicago Bulls. The Bulls are the team that they are right behind, uh, the team that's currently in that final play-in spot. The Bulls are good. They look spicy since the trade deadline. They, they've been trending in the right direction. Thad Young, freaking rules. Vucevic is a nice fit there. Um, the Bulls, the boss Bulls, as a, a friend on Twitter calls them, they're looking good. I, I don't... The Pacers might even be a more realistic target one game further up in the standings if the Raptors want to make it. Uh, But Thursday's a big one. It's one of two games they have left uh, against the Bulls, who are a team they're chasing. Uh, They only have one left against the Pacers, and that might be a meaningless game at the uh, very end of the season. It's their last game of the year, Uh, that game that still doesn't have a, a time on the schedule It'd be very funny if that gets flexed into the primetime slot and it's like a tiebreaker game to dis- determine to determine who gets the last play in spot. And it really works as like a, basically it turns the play in tournament into a, an 11 team thing. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I'm rambling uh, here. And it will be a battle of uh, Iowa, which uh, yes, is great. Absolutely. Uh, anyway, I'm rambling here. And the point I'm trying to say is that if you are still of the mind that the Raptors can and should make a push for the play in spot, uh, the time is now. They've got the Bulls, the Cavs, and the Knicks this week uh, before we talk to you next. And, and that's, you know, that's two of the teams uh, ahead of you in the standings and in the mix for those play-in spots. And then the team immediately behind you if you decide to turn in the other direction. So, um, you know, when you're 20 and 31, I don't think you can, and only have nine players, I don't think you can look at any part of the schedule and call it soft. Uh, But six of their next seven are against teams that entered the season, you know, maybe not expected to be that good. And all seven of them are against teams that are fighting for their playoff life or firmly not. So so what I'm trying to say is they have 
seven straight games against teams that are either happy to lose or fighting for a playoff spot. So um, if you were going to make a seven-game run, now's the time. It's a good thing everybody's healthy and available. Yeah. Freddie Gillespie, no no pressure, man. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Um, Okay, let's look backward just a little bit. Uh, The Raptors did have uh, an okay week. They lost to the Thunder. They beat the Warriors and the Wizards, and they lost to the Lakers since we last spoke to you. Eric went one and three on his picks. Uh, Jabroni week once again. I'm really wondering if my record at predicting Raptors games is worse than the Raptors actual record, which would be really impressive since like the NBA is by and large pretty predictable. Now, of course, it's been less so this year and particularly the Raptors season has for a whole bunch of reasons. But to to be like under 500 in picking who will win or lose an NBA game is really a quite a stunning accomplishment. I'm in, I'm constantly impressed by you, Eric. Thank you. Uh, okay, so looking backward, there are a couple positives to take out of the week beyond just the two wins and them showing uh, a little bit of fight, a little bit of spirit. I think the biggest one would probably be Malachi Flynn. Back-to-back 16-point performances, shot 13 of 25, had six steals and a couple blocks over the course of those two wins. And then even in the loss against the Lakers, and some of that was garbage time, uh, 11 points, eight rebounds, four four assists uh, in 33 minutes. He's been a little bit spicier uh, looking for his own offense. He's been, I think, really good defensively. Uh, where are you at on Malachi Flynn, Eric? And, and you know, we kind of teed up two weeks ago or a week ago that, you know, with Lowry down and then Van Vliet down, this was his time. Uh, and you need to not only get him the reps for development, but you need to see where he's at and how much he can give you. Uh, so where was he at, Eric? How much can he give you? <laughs> it's certainly been encouraging. And, I mean, obviously there wasn't much of anything to compare it to. Uh, we saw him in, in spurts. We saw him in the G League. Uh, but this is his most uh, concerted or, or concentrated, I should say, uh, amount of playing time. He was already sort of in the rotation before Lowry and then Van Vliet went down. Uh, but when you only have one healthy point guard, and I really did think he would start against the Lakers, um, especially after Nick Nurse said following the Wizards game that he hated the way the starting lineup looked uh, and then started them again. I think Nick Nurse has to be just trolling us with any comments about the starting lineup. Um, that's that's my takeaway. But um, yeah, I, I think like Nurse, my big thing in Flynn's early games was he was sort of passive offensively. And, and by that, I don't mean he was afraid to shoot. 
but he was afraid to let the play linger in his hands for too long, uh, which isn't like the worst trait to have. Like if you don't have it, move the ball. That, that's not the worst thing. But as a point guard, like you, that's who you want. Like if it's going to be in anybody's hands, that's who you want. And it seemed like he was settling a bit too much or he was just not probing the defense quite as much. So it was encouraging to see him either get to the get into the paint for a layup, get a bit of a floater off or um, looking for co- looking to draw contact uh, or even just, you know, dribbling through the paint and coming out the other side. And if nothing's there, then you move it as opposed to and maybe you move the defense along the way. Uh, he found, I, I think, his quote unquote nicest play uh, was against the Wizards when he drew two defenders as he was uh, dribbling at, along the baseline and then Pascal Siakam cut and uh, I think Flynn threw it uh, between the two defenders for an easy Siakam dunk. Yeah, there was uh, that one and the the kind of hezzy tempo change on the Alex Len switch where he uh, kind of scooped yeah. it high off glass. Yeah. Those were the two uh, that stood out. Yeah, and uh, I mean... Less good against the Lakers, who are a much better defensive team, even without Anthony Davis, uh, than the Wizards are. Uh, But that was the most encouraging thing for me, mostly because that was my greatest concern for him after having seen him play how much he had played uh, coming into this week. The defense is is really good. Like, obviously, he has to strengthen up, and, and, and I think that will be a focus for the future, uh, for the summer, uh, whatever the offseason ends up being. Uh, but to be honest, you haven't seen that like really cost him that much defensively. Now, I, I don't think the Raptors are being as flexible with him defensively as they are at times with, with Lowry, certainly, and Van Vliet on occasion. Uh, but you know they want to get to that spot where they can be, so that will be a work uh, in progress. But his instincts... His instincts are there, man. Like he, it's not just like the strip steals of a big man. He had one of Alex Len the other night against Washington. Uh, sort of, you know, th- those are the plays that everybody associates with Van Vliet. Uh, he just knows where to be for the most part, to the point where when he makes a mistake, it's kind of jarring. So I, I think the defensive signs, uh, while he's not like a lockdown defender, he's really good on that end. Yeah, I, I'm. I've been really impressed, and and I think. You know, for a guy like Flynn, you know, we talked a, a, a lot about at draft time. I, I know he's a guy you were high on. You kind of have a type. And we thought the defense might translate because of how good he was at the last level. Um, but, you know, the NBA is fast and the NBA is physical and, and NBA offenses are, are complicated and challenging. And a rookie point guard to come in and be pretty solid on defense is, I think, really encouraging. You know, I, I have some patience with the offensive side. I, I do think, you know, I know Nick's criticized him a couple times for those early clock pull-ups, um, you know, around drag screens or whatever when the defense drops. I'm fine with him taking those, actually, because, you know, w- without that next-level burst to get to the rim, that shooting is going to be such a big part of can he become a starter level guy uh but it's been good i mean it's uh you know i know there were some people who got discouraged by him not playing a lot early in the year but i think you know you rewind a little bit and you say hey where do you want your late first round pick rookie point guard to be 
you know, two-thirds of the way through the year, and even though he hasn't got a lot of playing time and didn't get a lot of G League time, I think he's in pretty good shape. I think there's a lot of room for improvement still, of course, but he's uh, he looks good. He looks like a rotation player. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, if he's their backup point guard heading into next year, I don't think anybody will be surprised or particularly worried. Like, you know, growth is important, and, you know, that's the something the Raptors are always deeply focused on, but certainly this increased playing time has him trending in the right direction, and and that's mostly what you can hope for. Uh, all right, speaking of trending in the right direction, another player who has been pretty good is Gary Trent Jr., a career-high 31 points against the Oklahoma City Thunder. Then he had 24 against the Warriors, including a plus 54 in the biggest... Raptors blowout in franchise history. That plus 54 mark, second only to Luke Mabamute's plus 57, uh, as far back as we have plus minus data, which goes to, I think, 1996. Um, I should know that since I was the one who told the broadcast, uh, but I forget. I think it's 1996. Um, so Trent, you know, we're, we're going to talk about this similarly to Flynn, and I don't want to, like, gloss over the negatives necessarily in a two and two week where they continue to struggle. But I think there's been enough negativity the last couple months that we can pick out the positives like Flynn. And I think Trent has certainly been uh, a positive. And I think you've seen an ability to get himself open for threes off the ball, which is really great and really important. Uh, the footwork on his step back mechanic, like his step back mechanics are, yeah. are really strong. And then the one thing that, you know, I maybe didn't know he had quite as good um, in Portland. Is like he he has pretty good footwork around pin downs and coming around screens and stuff like that. And that's, you know, Norm was kind of the pin down king, and Trent certainly does not have Powell's ability uh, to burst to the rim and put pressure on the rim. And I don't know, you know, we're a little ways away from from Trent even having enough reps to to judge whether that's going to be something he can do. But if you're looking at, you know, what role Trent plays right now and what role he might play with this core, uh, yeah, sure, there, there's still a, a big premium for this team on uh, putting pressure on the rim, and it's something they'll need to address. But I think, you know, Trent's ability to get himself free for shots within the flow of the offense and once in a while create a little bit for himself, uh, encouraging so far. And I think there's going to be ups and downs, and he's obviously going to be asked to do uh, a little bit more than he has in the past down the stretch here, but uh, he's looking uh, looking good. Also, he's just, uh, he seems like a cool guy. Yeah. Uh, I love the I've hand gestures and the We the Norths. I've enjoyed the work. Um, obviously, he was not expecting to be thrust into the situation and suddenly become the second option last night and like the first perimeter option, really. Uh so it's hard to judge too much. Uh, I do think they're going to have to figure out what they're doing in terms, and this is a team question, not as much of a Trent question, although I'm sure they'll work it on, work on it with him. Uh, they need to create some better looks in the paint. They just do, um, and or, or else it's going to be really hard to have Keon Johnson, answer. baby. Already, already starting to shape the five through ten in the draft. Uh, yeah, he based around today. that rim pressure. What's that? Yeah, he declared today. So yes. that's uh, that's nice. Um, and and Trent, you know, Van Vliet, and, and with Siakam's just you know 
I don't know if we're calling it regression or the league catching up to them. Uh, they're just not high percentage finishers at the rim. And it's hard when, you know, your main offensive guys are, are not finishing at the rim, rim. Like you have to be next level shooters in order to make up for that. And certainly uh, Van Vliet and Trent have that capability, but they're not quite there yet. Uh, so they're going to have to find a way to balance them that out. But Trent certainly looks like a guy who can, you know, whether he's the fifth starter or your sixth man, can be a, a really important piece of, of a good team. I, I'm not having trouble seeing that at all. Uh, he's, you know, not not a great lockdown defender either, but certainly flexible, can guard a, a number of positions. Uh, and the more he gets familiar with the Raptors system, I, I think the better he'll he'll look inside of it, and also the more he's playing with guys who are used to playing the Raptor system, which, yeah. uh, again, makes it difficult to judge Trent's work there. Yeah, um, I mean, look... The, the, the starting the, lineup in, in the last two games, essentially, was not something you can <laughs> fairly no. judge any And, and Boucher's having a tough time defensively lately. Yeah. Uh, if we were to talk about negatives, he'd probably yeah. be on the list. Yes. Um, and in terms of Trent's defense, you know, if you're looking at how he fits in this core and stuff, and I, I don't want to I don't want to lower the bar for him too much because you still want him to be as good defensively as possible. But if you assume the starting lineup is going to have Van Vliet, Trent, Siakam and Ananobi in it moving forward, whoever the fifth is, you know, Trent is going to be able to guard a lesser player fairly often. Like they're just, you know, you can justify having. Van Vliet or Siakam on a weaker defender to let them cause havoc off the ball or, or in Siakam's case to preserve a little energy but it's not you know this isn't 2015-2016 where a guy in Trent's position is going to have to go out and guard LeBron yeah um I that's certainly true of course with the way the Raptors play they want to be versatile in who they're guarding so you'd like him to you know get a just more time in the system and, and more course. comfort uh, operating within that and and comfort, you know, maybe defending up a few positions. But uh, that's... Get in the gym, low, Gary. It's a lower priority thing, I think, than just finding his fit uh, I, offensively. Because I, I think, you know, he's certainly shown that he's smart enough and, and intuitive enough to figure out what the Raptors are, are trying to do, at least. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, just one more note on, on Trent, um, you know, just in terms of the role he has played, you know, he's he's not taking Norman Powell usage. His usage percentage has been 20.5% uh, as a Raptor, which is modest. It's a shade above average. Uh, and he is not, you know, he's not chipping in with assists and rebounds yet. And it's a similar thing to, you know, how Powell profiled that as kind of purely... Uh, a scoring contributor. So that's why maybe Trent needs to have defense. You know, he needs to be better than Powell on defense because he's not bringing quite as much offensively, uh, even on the nights he scores well. One of the things that stood out, though, is not only, you know, I think we tend to think of a guy like like Trent as someone who needs his uh, opportunities created for him. Uh, only half of his twos so far as a Raptor have been assisted. And he has the lowest turnover rate in the entire NBA right now. So uh, while he is 
uh, a little limited uh, skill-wise and in terms of making others better. And, you know, you can't turn the ball over if you don't pass it. But, uh you know, that's a, that's a part of offense. And it's, you know, if you think back to the DeMar years and, and even Powell's breakout, you know, one of the big benefits of, of those guys was that they could have the ball in their hands and create for themselves and, and with DeMar eventually create for others without committing many turnovers. And that's, uh, you know, we know from the Raptors' defensive philosophy that turnovers are big. Turnovers are important. So not committing them is, uh, is pretty good. And nobody... In the NBA, commits them less than Gary Trent Jr. this year. Uh, Eric, the Raptors will play the Bulls, Cavaliers, and Knicks before we uh, talk to the people next. Um, it, it's got to be tough for WWE to book WrestleMania going up against Raptors-Cavs on night one of WrestleMania and Raptors-Knicks on night two of WrestleMania. No idea who would turn in for WrestleMania uh, when those two games are well, on Did the one of these games get moved? Because uh, I think to the, the Bulls, afternoon. No, the Bulls game was originally supposed to be on the Friday. I think. No, the Bulls game is the makeup game. The Cavs game was originally supposed to be on the Friday. Yeah. So. So they, the, Bulls, yeah, yeah. the Bulls game is the makeup game from the COVID loss game okay. in the first half of the season. So the and Cavs then they bumped game. The, yeah, they bumped the Cavs Friday, Friday to Saturday. Saturday. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so make your I mean, picks, maybe, maybe the WWE didn't know it at the time. Is yeah. all I'm saying. Uh, I'm going with a three loss week, uh, and yeah, uh, I'm, I'm just doing it. And everybody will be super depressed next week, and that means they'll go three and zero. Obviously. Yeah. Well, is this you trying to uh, reverse jinx? I'm not trying to do anything. Like I, no. I'm honestly like. Just having Van Vliet questionable or out, like a, Nick Nurse didn't sound confident about getting anybody back for the Bulls game, makes me, you know, it's hard to predict that roster to win any game right now. Uh, like it's the red hot Bulls. Uh, and then, like the Cavs are probably the best shot, but the Cavs just spanked the Raptors a few weeks ago. I, I mean, again, under difficult circumstances, but it's not the, like the circumstances are going to be awesome on Saturday. The so, dream has no memory of that. Uh, <laughs> that. That game did not happen. And then, uh, you know, the Raptors are automatic loss on back-to-back. So Yes. One in 400 this year or whatever. One, one in 10, yes. Yeah, um, close enough. And I'm sure their net rating is also bad. Yeah, that. I would bet so. Uh, all right, Eric. That is the end of Raptors reasonableists for this week. We're now going to give you, I don't know, maybe eight or 10 minutes. Uh, we're going to turn things over here to WrestleMania reasonableists. Uh, this weekend is the two night granddaddy of them all WrestleMania Saturday and Sunday. The showcase uh, of the immortals coming out of the Yingling center, just down the road from the Raptors. Uh, the, the home of almost where he played his college basketball. Um, if you didn't know that, there, there, there's I a little nugget for that. you. Yeah, um, this is, uh, yeah, in seriousness um, to any listeners who don't want to hear about wrestling, that is the end of the rap. That's 45 minutes on the Raptors. We're going to talk wrestling for these last 10 minutes, so uh, feel free to turn off now. Eric, WrestleMania, if you, if you are the type of, you know, casual fan who just looks at the card and tunes in for the Royal Rumble and WrestleMania or whatever, the... Card doesn't look that bad on paper. There will probably be some good matches. This is the first time fans have been in attendance in like 14 months or 13 months or something. Uh, so that that could add some extra energy. But how they've got here Ugh. 
has really frustrated you. It's almost it's almost the opposite of the Raptors, where there's been a lot of good process, poor results. The booking and the lead up to WrestleMania has been just you you have all these great matches on paper and all these potential potentially great stories and potentially simple stories. It's WrestleMania. You don't need to go like every title is on the line. The championship alone is enough to create a story around because everyone should want it. Like imagine imagine the the Lakers and the the Nets in the finals and LeBron is paying the Clippers to take out Kyrie Irving or something like that. Like it's it's senseless when it's the biggest show of the year and the biggest prize is on the line to convolute things and make it less enjoyable but in my mind and in yours that's where they are they have the the storytelling leading up to wrestlemania has turned you into an unreasonablist i i mean as we say plenty of times sometimes the reasonable response is outrage um or anger uh, and that's that's where I'm at. Uh, I just want to talk, like, I think it's most simply made with the two men's championships. Uh, although that's not to say they've done other things well. I just think uh, it's the easiest way to make the point. Uh, in Roman Reigns and Bobby Lashley, you have two bad MFers uh, who look legitimately scary and who you would worry uh, even in the context of professional wrestling and, and what professional wrestlers look like, that they could, they look like they can, you know, handle themselves pretty well and wouldn't need deviousness to get by. This isn't like prime Chris Jericho when he was being a chicken shit heel. Like that, that made sense for him. You know, it makes sense for Miz to try and hold on to his title the only you know the only way he can and to use every rule in his book but like bobby lashley has, has muscles on muscles and roman reigns like talks about how he like controls everything around him and, and obviously is in pretty decent shape himself and yet roman reigns in i think he's fought in every pay-per-view since he returned at at SummerSlam. And I'm not sure he's gone over cleanly in any match. It's okay to have a villain or a heel win cleanly occasionally. But, like, I think he had that long feud with Jey Uso, and Jey Uso didn't lose cleanly once. Uh, and, like, if you were going to do it with somebody, like, Jey Uso would have made sense. Like, I loved Jey Uso's work in those matches, but... He is clearly inferior physically to uh, to to Reigns, and yet Reigns needed help. And then with Owens, I think they had four matches, and and not one did Owens lose cleanly. Um, so it's really tough to get behind Roman Reigns as this big scary guy. Uh, and in the same vein, like they had a ready-made angle with Bobby Lashley and Drew McIntyre, both like who sort of had journeyman careers. Um, they were the slam anniversary main event five years ago. <laughs> um, Seriously. Yeah. Uh, they've had journeyman careers and have made their way to, uh, you know, main event status. Uh, in their, I, I don't know how old uh, Drew is, but Bobby Lashley, I think, is 44, which is crazy. Um, 
But again, like there should be this easy story to tell and with with Drew McIntyre saying, look, we're the same, except you got your championship by paying off The Miz. And he should be playing on that insecurity and the Hurt Business should be like holding Bobby back because Bobby is, again, a bad MFer. And he, like, you can say, like, he was just looking out for himself in terms of making that deal with The Miz, but he really believes in himself because why wouldn't he? He's Bobby Lashley. And MVP and The Hurt Business are saying, no, wait for WrestleMania. It's all about the money. You got to protect the match. And, and so he could come into the match looking as if, finally, I get to have this fight that I think I'm capable of winning. Whether he wins or loses, that's besides the point. You get them to the match in this equal place. Instead, Lashley looks weak because he's paying off, you know, freaking Baron Corbin to try and maim him. Uh, to maim McIntyre. Pronouns, pal. Um, so it's just really shoddy work. And saying that, like, I think... Both title matches could be great, um, but really disappointing. And the further you go down the card, you find some more egregious booking, which, you know, if I keep on going, what's wrong with every match? We'll be here for a while. I can't freaking believe that there's no place for Bailey in WrestleMania. And I don't even like Bailey that much. Yeah, but I, I'm like, not a Bailey fan, but yeah. But it's uh, like she carried the company's women division for a long time and uh, like maybe she'll get to do her talk show or whatever. But damn, like that's Yeah, I mean, even throw bad. her in the, the tag team situation, right? Like yeah. get, get her on there some way. Uh, there are 14 matches scheduled over the two nights of WrestleMania, seven each night. Uh, it was reported, I believe, by Dave Meltzer that the goal for each night is to keep each night under three and a half hours which is appreciated um you know it's uh there have been like six or seven hour wrestlemanias before yeah, we the one that, that ended back back. yeah the one that ended with the women's triple threat was i, I think with the pre-show that was over seven hours for sure yeah um okay so i want to i want to ask you a couple quick questions about this eric so night one of wrestlemania uh I think I read that there will not be pre-show matches or dark matches or anything like that because they want the first wrestler entrance uh, with fans in over a year to be special. My question for you is who gets that nod? So our matches on night one are Sasha Banks against Bianca Belair, Bobby Lashley against Drew McIntyre, Bad Bunny and Damian Priest against The Miz and John Morrison, the New Day against AJ Styles and Omos. Braun Strowman against Shane McMahon in the stupidest build I can ever remember seeing for a wrestling match. Cesaro versus Seth Rollins. And the women's tag team turmoil match. Who gets the honor of first entrance uh, back with fans on night one? Uh, it's tough. I have two guesses. And I'm going to go with Drew McIntyre. That was mine um, as well, and it was also uh, it's also what my my good friend Jay Zero at Wrestling Brain picked as well. So yeah, my second mind. guess would be Sasha, Sasha Banks, but uh, I'll I get what you're it. going for, right? Split the title matches up, get a good pop early on. Yeah, and then uh, yeah, my my thinking was with Drew, he was the biggest babyface in the company through the entire fanless era, so you get to give him like a little nod. Uh, it also lets you close with Sasha and Bianca, so the women get the main event one of the nights. Yeah. 
the but you could go a number of ways, right? Like like New Day getting the first entrance would be that like that's an easy that's an easy sell with the way yeah. that they hype the crowd up. Um, you know, even the Miz with the way that his entrance music starts and just how much he'll get booed, uh, which I guess takes us to one of the one of the questions you wanted to hit on. And let's do this as kind of a I have one thing for you from night two, so so let's uh, let's do this quickly. But your thoughts on Bad Bunny's involvement so far? Um, the world's most streamed recording artist and someone I've become a big fan of, Bad Bunny, has been training for months to actually get in the ring and be part of a WrestleMania moment. I thought he's played the role well, other than your issue with him giving up the twenty four seven title. Um, you know, he cut a decent promo. He very clearly has a ton of respect for these guys and is really enjoying himself. Except uh, the for the Miz. He has no the respect. Only, yes. The only account he follows on Instagram is the official WWE account, which I get a real kick out of. Uh, Bad Bunny and Damian Priest against the Miz and John Morrison. How do you feel about the, the Bad Bunny involvement? Uh, I think Bad Bunny's been really good. I think we can safely call him a future Hall of Famer. Uh, WWE Hall of Famer. Uh, like, that will happen. Uh, I'm pretty sure. Again, the problem is with the booking, and we talked about this offline yesterday, uh, and there's reasons for it, uh, namely that uh, John Morrison was injured and they weren't sure if he was going to be able to wrestle in, in at WrestleMania. But this being set up as a one-on-one match between Bad Bunny and The Miz, first of all, that's a bad idea because you want Damien, like the whole purpose should other than getting people to watch WrestleMania should be to getting your new wrestler on the roster, Damian Priest, over. Like, and that's why you bring a celebrity in is is to help the talent that's going to uh, be with your roster for a while. Hopefully, give them the rub. Yeah. Anyway, uh, ignoring all of that, uh, what happened is uh, they just it was going to be a singles match between the Miz and. And Bad Bunny, because of this off-screen injury and the uncertainty around John Morrison. And then they got uh, or the Miz and John Morrison on the last episode of SmackDown vandalized Bad Bunny's, uh, is it Bugatti? Or Bugatti, yeah. Bugatti. Um, and, and Bad Bunny got so mad that he challenged them to a tag team match. That makes no sense. It, it, like you don't when you get when something bad happens to you individually, you don't make a match involve more people. Uh, I, I guess what they're going for is because John Morrison himself was involved in the vandalization. Then you know he wants all, yeah he wants his hands on both of them. Yeah, but it, that did not come across. It was bad booking. Like you said, like if they were unsure about John Morrison, it would have been cleaner to write him out of a potential uh, match, uh, tag team match, as opposed to writing him into uh, this. It has just made Bad Bunny look weak, uh, in my opinion. But I think the work that Bad Bunny is doing has been very good. All right, uh, second night, we'll run through the card here. Roman Reigns against Edge against Daniel Bryan. You got Asuka against Rhea Ripley. The Fiend against Randy Orton. Uh, Yes, that's right. Opening day starter Dylan Bundy. WrestleMania main eventer The Fiend. Everything is happening for me, uh, even (laughs) though that storyline's gone on about six months too long. Big E against Apollo Crews in a Nigerian drum fight. 
Riddle against Sheamus, uh, Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler against the winners of the tag team turmoil match from night one, and the match that I wanted to ask you about, Kevin Owens against Sami Zayn with Logan Paul somehow involved. Uh, obviously, the storyline here has been a little bit silly, but as a longtime fan of Kevin Steen and El Generico back to their Ring of Honor days, the fact that these two are getting to have a WrestleMania one-on-one match, like legitimately touches me deep like lifelong friends who have had this enormous feud that spanned years across multiple federations getting to have a wrestlemania one-on-one match with the added wrinkle of the alignment switched for the first time where i think this is the first time they're having a feud where owens is the the face and zane is the heel um where are you at on that one this is the French Canadian match on the on the card. Uh, it's probably the one I'm most looking forward to on night two. Uh, man, I just love both of those guys. Yeah, it's awesome. They're both like so well rounded. Like I, I, I think you'd probably say that both of them are like a bit past their in ring peaks, maybe uh, just because of the wear and tear they've taken. But they are among the company's best storytellers in and outside the ring. Uh, I I have a feeling that, like, I really think Logan Paul is going to help swing the match for uh, Sami Zayn. I think that's where we're going. Um, but I, I love that Kevin Owens work uh, with... That Kevin Owens gets rewarded for, like, frankly several bangers he had with uh with Roman Reigns. He doesn't get to stay in the championship picture for reasons I understand, but uh instead of him just not having a match in WrestleMania, you you're there in line along I'd say with Cesaro and Seth Rollins for the potential uh show stealers. Uh like the non the non uh the non-title show stealers for sure. Uh those those both could be great matches and yeah, like I'm just happy for those guys cuz you know, they seem to represent the right things and uh, fight for uh, and and they're just great workers. Let's be honest. They they've uh, and untraditional sort of types in terms yes. of uh, mostly talking about body types here. Uh, in terms of uh, excelling in the WWE. Yeah, I mean, so. look, it really is the closest we're going to get to me against you in a WrestleMania match, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sammy's hair of late, the fact that I just uh, unfortunately kind of look like Kevin Owens, uh, especially at the weight I'm at right now. But, you know, it's uh, it's fun. Uh, okay, Eric, uh, pick all 14 matches. We'll see how you do. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, that has been uh, WrestleMania Reasonless. Unfortunately, Eric, you know, maybe a month ago, it looked like maybe we'd be able to do something and get together for one of the nights or something for an outdoor viewing or something. But uh, not only do the Raptors play both nights, uh, we still live in hell here in Ontario. Yeah, so. we'll be lucky if we get to see the Raptors play their home opener in October 2021 in person uh, yeah. at the arena. So I, I, that's where we're at. Yeah, that's frustrating. Um, all right, so that's been Raptors Reasonless. That's been WrestleMania Reasonless. The Raptors have three more games. We'll come at you again. Uh, I should check with producer Andrew before this, but next Monday looks like the spot on the schedule where we talk to you next. We'll get to talk more about how Malachi Flynn looked, how Gary Trent is progressing, how Freddie Gillespie fits in, and hopefully uh, how a couple of Raptors have gotten back to health and we no longer have to write about, well, 
they only had eight guys, so that's why they were down 34 to the Los Angeles Lakers, even though they had no LeBron and no Anthony Davis and no Andre Drummond. Uh, things are going to keep going up and down, I think, is the point. Uh, thank you so much for listening, guys. Again, theathletic.com slash six. If you're not a subscriber to the written side, uh, check out all our great work there. Eric had an awesome feature with Gary Trent on Monday. I'm not sure what yet. I'm sure I'll be writing about Freddie Gillespie at some point if uh, you're interested in, reading, in learning more about him. Um, and no wrestling content, you know, where we won't do the Royal Rumble Reasonableists rehashed. Uh, just, you know, y- you guys complained about us uh, writing about wrestling once, and now we're going to write about Raptors Cavs and Raptors Knicks back-to-back on a weekend. So, you know, here, monkey's paw for the your ass. people asses. get what they deserve. Yeah. Uh, all right, guys, thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again next week. Eric, thank you. Thank you. See ya. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.